I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, January 16th, 2012. <laughs> to say I'm not ready, I, that may be the right way of putting it. Can I pull it off today? Well, we're going to find out. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. As a result of it, we do the comparative work. Is what you're hearing truly God's Word in context? Is what you are hearing rightly handling God's word so that it's pointing you to your crucified and risen Savior? Or is it allegorizing the biblical text and basically making it so that Jesus is your co-pilot and uh, the one who gives you the power to achieve your dreams? Um, yeah, that seems to be a common misconception and mispreaching of God nowadays. And <laughs> no other place more prominent than in the Code Orange revival. So, okay, so those of you who are downloading the podcast, you already know that I actually did a special Saturday edition of Fighting for the Faith, and the reason why I did it is because, well, Matt Chandler's um, sermons weren't played uh, during the rebroadcast of the... Um, uh, the revival at ten twelve and three twelve a m um so you know what the, the entire program today is dedicated to uh code orange revival again. I figure you know what might as well cover it because i mean it, <laughs> it's like watching the heresy olympics i'm serious i mean we got twelve <laughs> twelve days of this thing, and it's like literally watching the heresy olympics i've never 
<laughs> I've never knew that such a thing could possibly exist. I'm strongly considering handing out medals at the end of the uh, Code Orange revival, you know, and thinking up, you know, heretical categories, you know, <laughs> giving a gold medal for narcissus, you know, reading your, you know, so since we're going to be doing that today, I have to play, well, this. So let's dive in. Let's, here we go. Oh, yeah. Little Carly Simon. Circa 1972. You know, to the best of my knowledge, she's never revealed who the song's really about. think the Bible's about you. You're so vain. You probably think the Bible's about you, don't you? Don't you? Yeah. All right. <laughs> ah, it's <laughs> so frustrating to watch. Okay, so I, I got to bring you up to speed, okay? Friday night, uh, I thought Matt Chandler hit a Grand Slam home run. Um, it, theologically, Dude, it was like Chandler walked in both guns blazing. I I mean, he took on this narcissistic eisegesis straight up. If you haven't heard the sermon, you know, I posted it in the special Saturday edition of Fighting for the Faith. And, you know, you got to give him props. I mean, he did law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, took on this idea that the Bible's about you. It ain't about you. It's about what Jesus has done for you. Big difference. Story's all about Jesus. And, you know, I mean, it was just brilliant. Now, kind of on a side note, one of the things I noticed, I mean, going into Friday night's edition of the Code Orange Revival, Furtick looked pensive. Furtick looked um, kind of on edge. It's the best way to put it. His uh, body language was um, agitated, is kind of the best way to, to put it. And it was it was very interesting to watch the dynamics in the room as Chandler did what he did. I mean, Chandler was bold. He was courageous. It was amazing to watch. It, there were times in the sermon when I was cheering. I just It was that good. I'm thinking, oh, this is great. So anyway, what I noticed though while watching it, and I had you know a full screen on uh, our production computer here in the uh, PCR studio. What I noticed is is that Furtick's body language when he was sitting while watching the sermon was distinctly different than it had been the previous nights of the uh, revival. Um, you know, the, the Craig Rochelle the first night. Anyway. Uh, on the nights that the the guys that Furtick is more close to uh, theologically and uh, Bible twistingly uh, preached, <clears throat> Furtick was on the edge of a seat. He was taking notes. He was saying Amen. He was into it. Okay. 
Not so when Chandler was preaching. When Chandler was preaching, Furtick um, wasn't doing the amen thing. Uh, He wasn't sitting on the edge of his seat. He wasn't really into it saying, come on, preacher. None of that. It was, no, he looked um, upset. Okay, and they didn't really give clear shots of Furtick. I mean, it was really interesting. They didn't really cut to him, which I think is kind of telling the story. So what happened, I mean, so what I thought was most telling, though, and it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, if, if you, if there's a YouTube video out there that kind of shows all this. When, when, when Chandler was done preaching, Furtick never once thanked him, acknowledged him, or said anything about him or what he just preached. Didn't do any of that. In fact, what I thought was interesting, body language wise, was that Furtick, you know, after Chandler was done, walked to the other side of the uh, of the podium and kept his back to Chandler. It, it was rather interesting to watch. And if you were to compare his body language to how you know what he was doing while Christine Kane was preaching the next night, it is a marked difference. Huge difference. I mean, I mean, Craig Rochelle uh, preached the first night, you know, to start off the revival. Uh, Furtick, you know, you know, I mean, he couldn't have been more thrilled with what Groeschel preached and and you know, acknowledged him and thanked him. Not so with um, Matt Chandler, not at all. And so, what was interesting was is that you know I was watching my Facebook, uh, my and watching the Twitter stream, and you know I had sent out a tweet myself uh, at, on uh, on Friday night, basically thanking Chandler for preaching law and gospel and rightly handling God's word and doing what he did. And, and, and other people had retweeted that. And it was, it was really interesting to watch. Well, I, I noticed that, um, you know, that people started, I was watching my Facebook wall and people were complaining that, uh, he wasn't playing the sermon during the ten twelve rebroadcast. So I pulled it up on my laptop and sure enough, uh, th- there was, yeah, if you've been watching the, uh, the kind of the buildup program to the revivals each night, they have some young kid who's, who wears these, uh, Rob Bell kind of glasses. I call him geeky, but I, I mean, he, he, he looks like a nice enough kid. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to put him down. It's just, you know, the same that, so what happened is, is that that there was this kid wearing those glasses and that night he had worn something that looked very similar to me to like a Oompa Loompa outfit. But, uh, it, what happened is, is that he was on, he was on and doing some kind of a prayer update and no sooner had he finished the prayer update, they cut back to the revival video and the sermon was over. Literally, Matt Chandler's sermon was cut out of the rebroadcast at ten twelve p.m. So anyway, I have insomnia. And I'm thinking, okay, so here's the deal. 12-12 rebroadcast, maybe you could chalk it up to a technical glitch. Maybe there was some kind of a an issue. I mean, maybe they were having a post-production problem or maybe a, a computer wasn't working right. So, you know, I have insomnia, was up, tuned back in at 3.12 a.m. Saturday morning to watch the rebroadcast. And uh, what's interesting is uh, Scott Kingsolver. Uh, you know, we've had him on the program before he was on my Facebook wall and he was awake and we were chatting back and forth. 
And, uh, and, you know, and I was just, you know, he, he was kind of exercised about the fact that Chandler's uh, sermon hadn't been rebroadcast. And so we were chatting back and forth on my Facebook wall. And, uh, you know, I just kind of watching to see what's going to happen. And sure enough, they cut right back to that kid. And right, I mean, it, literally, they they were playing the same worship music and experience leading up to the sermon, and they X the sermon out. I go, this is deliberate. I, and I told Scott at the time, I said, there's a story here. And so that's what motivated me to, uh, you know, get into the uh, uh, Pirate Christian Radio Studios and, uh, you know, break the news that uh, that during the rebroadcast of the Code Orange revival at 12, 10, 12 p.m. and 3, 12 a.m., the sermon went missing. It was deliberately cut. There's just no other way to describe it. It was deliberately hacked out of the rebroadcast. So at 9.18 a.m., so I, anyway, I posted my, uh, I posted my uh, breaking news story about 7 a.m. Eastern, Two and a half hours later, Furtick sends out a tweet. And by the way, I tweeted about it, put it up on Facebook, and you know it went viral. There was people who were retweeting it, and the story was breaking. And you know that was you know to start the morning off. So Stephen Furtick sent out an apology tweet, and here's what the apology tweet said: "I apologize for the inconvenience of last night's Code Orange revival programming change." The inconvenience of a programming change? Matt Chandler's message will re-air today at 10, 12 a.m. and 12, 12 p.m. So he decided to go ahead and do it. But anyway, so I noted this on the, on the Fighting for the Faith website, that Furtick's explanation actually doesn't make any sense, and it only raises more questions. Questions like this. Who made the decision to edit out the sermon from the Code Orange Revival rebroadcast? I mean, think about it, okay? They Elevation Church has been hyping this Code Orange revival for weeks. It's it's the buzz of the internet around the world. There are people out there from around the world tuning in to watch the the what supposedly the Spirit of God is doing at the Code Orange revival, and and he made a point of telling everybody that you know the, uh, about unity in the body of Christ and how there's multiple voices and stuff like that. But the reality is is that Chandler came in guns blazing, and he, I mean, he. Let them have it. Theologically, it was a smackdown. And Furtick doesn't handle criticism well. If you don't believe me, go to YouTube.com, type in Stephen Furtick, hey, haters. Yes, Furtick doesn't take criticism well from anybody. And um, and Chandler provided some, uh, let's just say, really beefy, meaty, biblical criticism. I mean calling it a sin and rebuked, I mean, right there on his turf. I don't think Furtick handled it well. And the reality of the fact, the reality matter is this. At Elevation Church, Furtick is the decision maker. And the one thing I've learned being in the corporate world, in fact, that I have a master's degree in business administration from Pepperdine University, uh, number one rule of leadership is that the buck always stops at the top. So um, the answer to the question is, who made the decision to edit out the sermon from the Code Orange Revival rebroadcast? Answer, there's no person at Elevation Church 
who would have the authority to unilaterally make the decision to hack out and cut out and edit out the sermon from a revival broadcast. There's nobody who has the ability to make that decision unilaterally except for one person. And that one person is Stephen Furtick. So the question then, the next one is, why was the decision made to edit out the sermon from the Code Orange Revival rebroadcast? Two of the rebroadcasts, it's a, it's a historical fact, had the sermon edited out of it. Why was that done? Was it because Matt Chandler had the gumption and the courage to call a spade a spade? Was it because Matt Chandler basically held up his Bible and said, this book isn't about you, and and literally from the, uh, from the podium on the stage there at Elevation made it clear that narcissistic eisegesis is a wrong reading of the text? Is that, is that why? I mean, I just posed the questions. Of course, then the, the question, how on earth does it make any sense for anyone to make the decision to edit out the sermon from a revival rebroadcast. I mean, I mean, wouldn't that be tantamount to like a hamburger joint making the decision to sell hamburgers without meat? I mean, like that'd be like uh, you know somebody deciding to sell pizza with um, with without any dough. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. We'll just give you the toppings. Um, um, the fact is, is that Furtick's tweet makes it perfectly clear that there was a programming change, and the programming change was made via a decision. And that decision in that organization, at that church, couldn't have been made unilaterally. It had to be made by one person. And that one person is Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick made the decision to edit out Matt Chandler's sermon. That is big news. And as far as I'm concerned, well, it, it tips Furtick's hand. He'll tolerate any gospel except for the biblical gospel. Yeah, if that isn't the case, then why did he hack that out? Why did he hack it out? That was his first impulse, and that's exactly what he did. He was not happy, and you could see it in his body language. You can see it in what had what subsequently happened with him hacking it out. And the fun thing was is that, well, he was caught red-handed, and so he had to make the decision to put the sermon back in for the rebroadcasts at 1012 and 1212. I'm glad that he did, and I'm glad that it's on the Internet. I'm glad that a lot of people are able to see it because um, my concern is that looking down the line of what's coming uh, at the Code Orange revival, I don't think we're really going to be hearing the biblical gospel from anybody that's left. Now, some people say, well, there's a hope that James McDonald will, um, I hope, I hope in the past he's shown that he's capable of doing it. I just wonder if he will. So, uh, but as far as, you know, Kevin Gerald, the uh, Joel Osteen cheap knockoff, no, we're not going to, we're not going to hear the biblical gospel from him. Uh, Perry Noble, <laughs> no, we're going to hear about Perry Noble when Perry Noble uh Speaks. Uh, I don't know Israel Houghton, uh, Houghton. Um, so I mean, maybe I maybe we will from him. But um, you know, we definitely um, let's say there's some big problems with what we heard from Christine Kane and from Ed Young Jr. So we'll be uh, we'll be looking at that today as uh, we do another Code Orange revival uh, recap program well, because there's just so much to talk about. I mean, after all, it's the Heresy Olympics. 
So, and uh, it's again, if you, ha- if in fact, if you've got some uh, ideas for you know gold and silver medal categories, email them to me at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. I mean, yeah, I'd you know, I I'm for sure thinking we need to give a gold, silver, and uh, bronze medal uh, to. Uh, the uh, the speaker who showed the most skill at narcissistic eisegesis. By the way, um, uh, at this point, Christine Kane, as far as I'm concerned, is the front runner in that category. Absolutely convinced, Christine Kane uh, is. Uh, that was a gold medal performance in narcissistic eisegesis, aka Narsa Jesus, that she put in on Saturday night. Whoo! I mean. We sure did learn a lot about Christine Kane. We sure did. Anyway, so uh, uh, anyway, so what we're going to do right now is I'm going to take a break. We're going to take our first break. I don't know if we're actually going to get a second break today, so I want to get the first one in. And then what we're, we'll, we'll do is when we come back, oh, I'm going to start off in our uh, Code Orange recap to, today by uh, starting out with um, the pregame show, so to speak, because I want you to hear part of the lead-up into Saturday's um, Code Orange revival and what was said there by their their roving reporter out there in the lobby uh, as they you know grab people from the crowd and from the line and then put them on on the Code Orange revival television program because it's just creepy weird um yeah you'll see what i mean when we come back so if you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on facebook it's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or you can follow me on twitter my name there pirate christian we will be right back Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Thanks for calling Saddleback Customer Service. This is Josh. How can I help you today? Yes, I would like to return the Jesus I received from you. I heard there was a 60-day return policy. Yes, sir, there is. But can I ask you why you want to return Jesus? Well, I was told if I received Jesus, he'd fix all my problems. And quite honestly, I'm not satisfied with this Jesus. Sir, what is your Jesus doing right now? Nothing. He just sits there. Have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching, but nothing has happened. Sir, if you read the fine print on the warranty, you'll see that you are responsible for feeding, not the church or the pastor. Oh. Well, can I exchange this Jesus for another? Sir, what kind of...
kind of Jesus are you looking for? I need the Jesus that forgives sins. You know, changes your life on the inside, helps you overcome the sins of the flesh, never leaves me nor forsakes me, and will take me to heaven when I die. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. Well, I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that? your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, telling your life stories has no power to save anybody. Uh, God's word is living and active, not your life stories. Just, you know, saying. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, what we're going to do right now is we're going to listen in our Code Orange Revival recap that uh, from the weekend, uh, well, Heresy Olympics. Um, we're going to be listening to uh, Elevation Church spokeswoman. She's been uh, kind of the, f- uh, the face of the pre-revival program. They've been taking people out of line, putting them in front of the camera and interviewing them. And her name is Tandy Bendix. And we're going to be listening to Tandi interview three gals who you know drove a long way in order to um well, it's probably best if I let you hear it for yourself. Uh, suffice it to say the question that should be on the table is, uh, did these people come to hear about Jesus or something regarding Stephen Furtick? Uh, here's Tandi Bendix explaining. 
Welcome back to the Elevation Network. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you are just logging into the Elevation Network, I'm Tanya Bendixson. I'm one of the staff members at Elevation Church, and you've joined us for Code Orange Revival. And tonight is night four. Christine Kane is going to take the stage tonight, and we are so excited to hear a powerful word from her. Of course, she hails from Australia and is joining us tonight as part of our amazing lineup of speakers. Pastor Stephen Furtick has brought in an incredible lineup. And if you have been watching the past several nights, you know just how powerful the preaching and the worship has been and that's what yeah i I hate to disagree uh the only powerful preaching i heard was from matt chandler did not hear any powerful preaching uh from craig rochelle or from um jensen franklin uh he, he just made up his own um mythology regarding apparently you can pass grace on and you know kind of in the you know uh, meritorious bank account kind of system similar to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Chandler nailed it, and, um, well, we're going to hear Chris, parts of what Christine Kane said, but to say that the preaching has been powerful would be like a gross, negligent overstatement, um, and which basically tells me truth doesn't seem to matter. But, <clears throat> sorry, I didn't mean to in- interrupt Tani, but here we go. Network is all about it's an opportunity for you to hear from God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what did she say? They started the Elevation Network so that you can what? Hang on, backing it up just a smidge. I, uh, here we go. Watching the past several nights, you know just how powerful the preaching and the worship has been. And that's what Elevation Network is all about. It's an opportunity for you to hear from God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So the Elevation Network is an opportunity for you to hear from God 24 hours a day. You know, hang on. Let me check something. Okay, open this, Kindle, right? Okay, yeah, all right. So uh, I'm looking at my Lutheran study Bible on my Kindle. Uh, no hours. It Get this. This is going to sound really weird, but my Lutheran study Bible, um, it's available 24-7 for me to hear from God, and I didn't even need to go to the Elevation Network for that. Just launched. We're glad you've joined us, and we grabbed some people from out in the line. There have actually been people standing in line since before noon today, Eastern Standard Time, to get in, and we opened up the doors, and people are still streaming in. We're doing our best to seat everybody. We've had fun talking with this, ladies, and I wanted to share a little bit about their story. They have been traveling across the country seeking God for the past several months. Through They've been traveling across the country seeking God. Is he like Carmen Sandiego? Where in the world is... Anyway, um, <clears throat> weird. <laughs> Chasing after God all across the country. Yet all you had to do is open up your Bible and you'd hear directly from him. Okay, well let's find out what these ladies are up to when it comes to Stephen Furtick. All half of 2011, and they've landed here on our doorstep at Elevation Church, um, and I'm excited because their their hearts are just open for what God would have for them. They've been in the ministry for a long time, and I want to ask you, what what was it that led you here to Elevation? Your last stop was in Texas, so what was it that brought you here to Elevation for Code Orange Revival? Um, we heard that the revival was coming on. We knew we had a we had a destination of mind, and we were actually heading that way. But when we heard about the revival, we were determined to come and get involved and hear God's voice. And so we were excited. Huh. So we were determined to come to Elevation in order to hear God's voice. You couldn't have heard that God's voice 
at any other church between Charlotte, North Carolina, and somewhere in the middle of Texas. Apparently, God's voice is only to be heard <clears throat> there in Charlotte. This is weird, man. Be here and just so glad to be a part of it. What kind of effort have you had to put in in order to get here? You're driving. You're not flying, right? Tell me about that sort of transportation. How's that been? Well, we've actually taken two cars. We drove straight from California. We packed up our house. We had friends help us pack up. We put things in storage. We brought the necessities and um, we drove across country. And it's been just an amazing experience to be here among the people of God here at Pastor Fredericks Church and to meet all of you and to just hear him and to get feel his presence <laughs> did, she, did she say that she wanted to feel pastor Furtick's presence hang on she she couldn't possibly have said that right she she wouldn't be thinking that she could feel pastor Furtick's presence as if he's a god or anything Backing it up about 15 seconds. And it's been just an amazing experience to be here among the people of God here at Pastor Fredericks Church and to meet all of you and to just hear him and to get feel his presence and to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's what we felt God told us to do. Find out. So God told you to go to Elevation Church to feel his presence. And see, that's the thing. The way she said it, <clears throat> I'll cut her a break. I, I, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. She, I'm, uh, she obviously must have meant she went to feel the presence of God, not the presence of Stephen Furtick. But man, that sentence makes it sound like she went there to feel the presence of Stephen Furtick, as if he's a deity. But see, that's the thing. We're not hearing anything about Jesus. All we're hearing about is. Stephen Furtick and how you can hear God's voice of all places, only really there at Charlotte, North Carolina. This uh, crosses the line into flat-out idolatry. I'm moving and get involved. And so we, we heard that you were doing this and we heard about Pastor Furtick while we were actually in Jamaica in July. It was like, Lord, we have to go and see what you're saying. And it's not been a disappointment. You, you have to go and hear what God is saying. Um, well, based on the fact that we've gotten a lot of false doctrine and Bible twisting and stories about um, Craig Rochelle stories, made up stories from Jensen Franklin. Um, and we're going to hear Christine talking about herself and engaging in the very uh, narcissistic eisegesis, otherwise known as narcissus that uh, uh, Matt Chandler said is you shouldn't be doing. Uh, oh, and then we're going to hear a lot about uh, Ed Young. I'm, I, I, why would I think for a second that God is speaking at um, Elevation? Um, unless, of course, God really wants me to know a lot about those people's lives and not a lot about Jesus. So much to us while we were in Jamaica. Uh, my grandpa passed away, and he was on TV, and I'd never seen him before. And I was like, "Who is this guy?" And so I knew we were going to start going on the road to just find people who who are in need. But I was like, "He's in Charlotte. We have to surround our road trip. We have to be there for at least a part of this revival because yeah. God is moving here." Tell. Yeah, you got any evidence for that? About your ministry and how Pastor Stephen has inspired what God already put in your heart. How Pastor Stephen has inspired what God has put into your heart. What does that sentence mean? Sure, yeah. Um, 
basically, we go where we get together, we pray, uh, a three-cord rope's not easily broken, and then we say, God, where do you want us? Who needs us? Who needs you? And um, we go there. So they're like uh, prayer special forces. They get parachuted in wherever God sends them. So when I watched him, I'm, he's young, you know, so don't despise the day of small beginnings. And just like Jeremiah, you know, um, I'm young too, and I have a lot to say for God. And he's just an inspiration for us not to be afraid of what kind of people we are and that we didn't go to seminary, but he's just an inspiration for us to give anything and everything to God. Yeah, so I imagine you've seen some incredible things along your way. What are you hoping will come out of this trip and what you'll find here at Code Orange Revival? You've been here since Thursday night. Um, what have you heard and what have you seen that have ins that's inspired you? And then what are you hoping will come out of it? Uh, we have just been so blessed by receiving the different and various teachings of the people that Pastor Furtick has brought in. And uh, we're so excited about the people we're going to see because we fully intend to share with them what we've learned, uh, introduce them to Code Orange and Stephen Furtick's church here at Elevation, and um, just truly looking forward to also getting them online on the live feed so that they too can see it's just such an encouragement that he's gone worldwide and has expanded and yeah Stephen furtick has gone worldwide it's such an encouragement um yeah only if uh, sound doctrine doesn't matter and narcissistic eisegesis is okay with god um weird i mean this just sounds to me like rock and roll groupies who are you know you, you remember remember the, that footage you know the beatles would come out on stage and the girls would go ah! John and Ringo and you know that kind of stuff um yeah this sounds like that kind of type of like rock star groupie worship thing going on and I'm not hearing about Jesus I'm hearing a lot about Stephen Furtick and being in his presence um but I'm not hearing anything about Jesus and apparently, you know, God is speaking there at Charlotte uh, in you know elevation, but not anywhere between you know Texas and uh, and Charlotte. Yeah, no. If you're if you're looking to hear a voice from God anywhere between Texas and Charlotte, North Carolina, you are well. You're just out of luck. It's not going to work. I mean, God, the Holy Spirit is booked. Um, he's only speaking at Charlotte. Uh, don't even try to just you know tootle into a church. You know where they preach the word. Uh, you're not going to hear from God there. No, no, it's only in Charlotte. And such an amazing, it's just new for us, and we just love that yeah. they're going in that direction. Do you feel like you're going to get a clear um, word from God that will tell you exactly what you're going to be doing? Is that what you're hoping for? Is that what you're expecting? I mean, your prayer is what? What's your son's standstill prayer? Well, <laughs> what's your son's standstill prayer? I it's just wow. I mean, seriously. Um, you know, I, I'm con I'm concerned here that um, you know, a theological thought would rattle round in these ladies' heads like a BB in a balloon. You know, take a BB, stick it in a balloon, and it goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. What's your son standstill prayer? My son, my son stands still prayer is, Holy Spirit, wherever you tell us to go, 
no matter the sacrifice, no matter the cost, we're willing to do it for you, for your glory. We love you, and we have found people that have that heart, and it's here at Elevation Church. God's hand is here. We love it. That's awesome. Thanks so much. I'm going to let you guys go ahead and go, and then I'm going to bring Larry Hubaka back in. Thanks so much, ladies. Welcome to the Elevation Network. Yeah, okay. So that <clears throat> random people grabbed out of the crowd. Um Makes you wonder, have, have they heard the biblical gospel? Do they even know what sound doctrine is? Do they know what the historic Orthodox Christian faith is? They know a lot about Stephen Furtick, but mistakenly have come to the conclusion that if they want to hear from God, they got to be in Charlotte. Huh. Yeah, you know, I heard from God yesterday, and I didn't even have to go to Charlotte. I, I know it sounds heretical to say such a thing, but, you know... I just happened to be in a place where I heard God's word preached and, uh, you know, the word was open, heard about Jesus, a lot about Jesus. Um, yeah, in fact, I didn't hear anything. Come to think of it, I didn't hear anything about Stephen Furtick at church yesterday. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that's kind of a problem. Don't you? I, I mean, I, I, that's weird. May that's the problem is, is that I was focusing on Jesus and I, while I was in, you know, central Indiana, attending a church service that was focusing on Jesus. I couldn't feel the presence of Stephen Furtick. Huh, yeah. Did I really hear from God? I wonder. Huh. Anyway, um, moving along, we've got another segment here. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump ahead to um, where Christine Kane takes the stage there at uh, Elevation at the uh, Code Orange Revival and watch right out of the shoot. She's going to do the very thing that Matt Chandler said not to do. Uh, read herself and read Stephen Furtick into the Bible. Yeah, it's it's true. Um, here's Christine Kane. Wow. You can all be seated. Y'all. You got to sit out. <laughs> this place is incredible. You could be seated. I don't know how I'm supposed to preach after that. Uh, I don't know. I've never kind of quite been introduced like that. All the Elevation Church people, I just turned around to Holly as Pastor Stephen was talking going, that's unbelievable that, you know, like 21 Percent was that right? I'm just reiterating that for the finance people. Twenty-one percent of all the uh, tithes and offerings coming in this week. So y'all better give good this week. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I just um, I'm in awe, and I have not been able to wait. You know, I love this room's packed. Th this place is a little bit like. Um, God, take this in context in that like you're omnipresent, you're here, you're across the room, you're down the street, you're all over the world wide web, it's like wherever you look, here we are. And um, it is it, it is my honor and privilege to be here. I couldn't wait, you know, when Pastor Stephen first started to tweet um, and kind of just put feelers out there about the revival, I'm, I'm old school, I'm both Greek and a woman and raised in Australia, so we only preach. Talking about herself. Three ways, hard, fast and continuously, so you will not fall asleep. And so I'm kind of getting all fired up when I was reading those tweets and I'm dropping hints, you know, like uh, you, you really need me to be there. But I have been watching every night and, um, you know, I've learned a lot. Uh, uh, Pastor Craig taught me how to be an idiot and um, it was awesome. And then Pastor Jensen 
informed me that Pastor Craig was option number one. He was option number two, but I wasn't hearing anything about who was option number three. So I was um, hoping that I, you were still like, I was, I was number one. Okay, right. Okay. We were all number one and it just gets better and better with God. So you don't want to miss one night of these revivals. I'm like, you know, it's, they're absolutely awesome what the Lord's doing. There's no doubt about it. But- what exactly is he doing there? Sowing doctrinal confusion? really, really couldn't wait. And I'm just loving it because you're like everywhere. Like, you know, I've been watching this online every night and it's been awesome, but you've got to be here because it is insane online. It's another level of insanity in this place. It's, another, it's, it's a whole other level. And um, I've been waiting. Yeah, I prefer to keep my insanity and my Christianity separate. You know, it's just something I've, I, I'm a little OCD about, you know. We continue. You know, Pastor Stephen and Holly, they have, it's not just like you stand here and you're supposed to say something nice. Um, it is true. My heart was knitted to your pastor. I first heard him um, actually online on a podcast, I think, on some kind of recording, talk about honor. And, my, and that's why tonight as he was talking there, I thought, I hope the whole world listens. I don't even need to get up and speak. I just wish that he kept going because I encourage- was weeping and I called my pastor Say something nice. Um, it is true. My heart was knitted to your pastor. I first heard him um, actually online on a podcast, I think, on some kind of recording, talk about honor. And, my, and that's why tonight as he was talking there, I thought, I hope the whole world listens. I don't even need to get up and speak. I just wish that he kept going. because Yeah, the whole world needs to listen to Stephen Furtick. Huh. I was weeping and I called my pastor and um, I said to my pastor, there's this young man, and you know, <laughs> I'm kind of 45, so anyone's young. But anyway, so do I look 45? <laughs> right answer, we can be friends. I, I am incidentally married to the single most ravishing piece of masculine flesh on planet Earth, and here he is. This is the man. Yeah, I think that's part of her standard stump speech. I've heard her do that before. He's hot. And he's the father of my two children, Alpha and Amiga. And so we have Catherine, Bobby, and my little Sophia Joyce. And um, they had a party to go to, so they're at home. And this church, you are so outrageously generous that you sent my kids pizza, which they're not allowed to have. But anyway, you sent my kids pizza and beads and paints because my little girls love want to be artists. And I've got to tell you, this is the first church because their mother and, and dad, we're like traveling itinerant ministers. They called us on the phone and said, mommy, anytime that church wants you, you can go. Can you go to that church again? <laughs> so, so far, you know, um, Christine Kane takes the stage and she talks about herself. I wonder what God is saying through this. I, you know, I can't quite figure it out. Maybe if I tuned into the Elevation Network, you know, I can get some kind of a weird vibe that'll tell me what God is saying through this because, you know, I'm just assuming I'm not hearing a single word from God at this point. You all want to stay and have the whole revival over there. So they were like so excited. And I had, before I get to preaching, you don't have to worry because I can say a lot in a little period of time, but there is just one passage 
um, that I want to talk about before I get into my message for the night. And I know that God is going to move powerfully. Yeah. Now watch this. The, this is the very thing Matt Chandler warned against. But um, I want to um, say something because I've had this. I, I was here last year and was so moved then. And it was, it was more than what I thought. But there was something I wanted to say, not just to the church. But to everyone watching this, and there are multiplied countless thousands of people, tens of thousands watching this around the world right now. And, um, you know, I don't say this lightly, but I want to read a couple of passages of scripture and just explain my whole experience. My husband and I, in our friendship with your pastors and with this house in our interaction, you know, the, David said, I'm just going to read a, a scripture out of First Chronicles 22, verse 5, and then I'm going to turn to Second Chronicles. But David said in verse five, 5, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame. Everyone say great magnificence and fame. I love this. And splendor in the sight of all nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. I love this because David was getting ready to build the greatest project ever built, the greatest house to God, um, the temple of God. And this was going to be, you heard, I think, Pastor. Okay, now let me just kind of help you out here so that you can understand the magnitude of what it is that Christine Kane is about to say. She's reading from the Old Testament account of David storing up basically, you know, the building supplies so that the temple of the Lord can be built. Okay. At those of you who've traveled to Israel. Now, personally, I've never been to Israel. I hope to go someday, but, um, on Israel, you know, in Israel, in Jerusalem, you have the temple mount. All right. And on the temple mount, there used to be the temple. All right. The, 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 the uh, literally where the presence of the Lord was. This is a huge historical spot in the history of the Bible, of salvation history, and all the like. And yes, at this point, Christine Kane is about to draw the comparison between Elevation Church and the Temple of the Lord in um, in this uh, Old Testament book of Chronicles. Jensen talked about how many billions of dollars that that building project was going to be. And what I love is he says, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And then he gives him 85 billion bucks to go and build something awesome. It's just fantastic. But he says he's young and inexperienced. And then he goes on and he says, but there's only one kind of house. If we're going to build a house to the Lord, there's only one kind of house that must be built. And this isn't just a small, insignificant house. He goes on, he says, it should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. And I don't know about you, but those of you that are planted in this house, I'm from the other side of the world. I'm from the uttermost parts of the earth. And your fame by the grace of God, your renown by God's grace has spread around the earth. You are building a house that is a magnificent house, that is a great house. So let me see if I have this straight. Elevation Church has the renown around the world that Solomon's temple had? Huh. It's not that the renown of Jesus is making its way around the world from Elevation Church. It's that they have this renown. I mean, this is breathtakingly arrogant and absolutely narcissistic. 
Am I to somehow believe that Elevation Church is graced with the presence of Stephen Furtick and the renown that is going around the world like Solomon and his temple? Really? Yeah, I wouldn't say that the focus here is off by one or two degrees. I would say it's off by 180 That is impacting the Lord. And you know what? The Bible teaches us that's the kind of house that ought to be built for the Lord because we serve a wonderful king. And there should not be no one on earth that gets a better house than the king of kings and the Lord of lords and our mighty God. That's right. Elevation Church, just like Solomon's temple. And that the fame of Jesus should resound throughout the earth. I love this. Yeah, yeah. right after the fame of Stephen Furtick and Elevation. You know, Jesus is a, well, a third spot there. And then the queen of Sheba, when the house was built... So now listen to what she does here. Solomon was ruling, and here you are five years on as a church, almost six years, just about to celebrate. And um, as I was driving here today from the airport... I Do you think the people at Elevation need their egos stroked anymore? I mean, I'm, I'm afraid that their brains might blow up. I mean... Kind of went, we're half, we're not, we're only a third away through the revival, and then we're just right into so many other things. But you're about to celebrate six years. Who would have thought six years young? My little six year old just turned six, because that's what you do when you're six, you turn six. And so she turned six. But the Queen of Sheba, she said, the Bible says in, in um, Second Chronicles chapter 9, when the Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. I love that. That's what women do, sorry. Arriving with a very great caravan with camels. I didn't bring any of those. Carrying spices, large quantities of gold, precious stones. She came to Solomon and she talked with him about all her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. Now listen to this. When the Queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon as well as the palace he had built, the food on his table. I want you to see how much everything matters. The food on his table, the seating of his officials. Yes, yeah, because the reason why the Holy Spirit had this, these details regarding Solomon in the temple and Solomon's fame you know, recorded is so that we can then compare Solomon to Stephen Furtick. Attending servants in their robes, the cupbearers in their robes and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe what they said until I came and I saw it with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told me. You have far exceeded the report I heard I totally expect the um, Furtick audaciously revised translation of the Bible when that thing finally comes out. Again, that's the Furtick audaciously revised translation of the Bible. I'm, I fully expect that when that finally hits the bookshelves in the Internet, that there will be, you know, first and second Furtick added to the um, the end of that particular Bible. Again, that's the Furtick audaciously revised translation. And once that is, you know, hit the bookshelves, it, we will be blessed with brand new material for the Bible, first and second Furtick. And uh, I'm telling you, it'll just be audacious. And, you know, I'm so glad that we were graced by his presence and that we finally have a place where the renown of uh, somebody who's hearing from the Lord can go around the world just like King Solomon. Happy! 
your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and this house. And I'm here to tell you from the other side of the world, I had heard about what God was doing. I had heard about the greatness of this house, the excellent... I just want to vomit. ...of this house, the magnificent of this house, but as someone that has come from across the earth, not only did I hear you come in like the Queen of Sheba, I was breathtaking. It's like the half of it wasn't even told me. Every person that I meet here is on fire for God. Everyone's got an awesome salvation story. Everyone has encountered a risen Lord. Everyone's got a... And I love... The excellence. I love the generosity. I love the hospitality because that's what she said. You can tell the condition in the heart of a house based on everything around that. When you have a house that sends pizza to my daughters to say thank you that your mummy would come and do a revival meeting, I think that's the kind of house that you ought to say thank God that I'm planted in that kind of house serving such great... Yeah, I know. I mean... Did you know that uh, Solomon's Temple did not serve pizza? I mean, that proves to you that Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, exceeds the greatness of Solomon's Temple because they did not serve pizza there. You know, I'm just saying. That can hear from God. I love it. 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 Yeah, so there we go. Narcissistic eisegesis like you wouldn't believe. Now Elevation Church is Solomon's Temple. Yeah, I'm so glad that we finally have a place for the glory of the Lord to shine forth around the world there at Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and for the prophet Stephen Furtick. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that may be wrong, for the Messiah himself, Stephen Furtick. Um, by the way, somebody pointed this out to me on Twitter, and I thought this was kind of interesting. If you remember back to the episode where I reviewed the documentary that was made about you know the six-year-old fledgling church, um, you know, and how great it was, it was weird watching it because all of the stories that were told were telling the miracles of Stephen Furtick, you know, and uh, and it was done in gospel style in the sense that. Jesus fasted for 40 days, so did Stephen Furtick. Jesus fed the 5,000, Stephen Furtick dropped the 25,000 Easter eggs out of a helicopter. Um, Jesus cursed the fig tree, Stephen Furtick cursed Sofa Express. It's just weird. I mean, so, you know, it's like you're telling the story of the Messiah, and it's not Jesus, it's Stephen Furtick. Well, someone pointed out to me that Jesus called his 12 disciples. Furtick texted 12 people. You know, his 12 for this revival. And it's interesting to note, just like Jesus, you remember Jesus, one of one of the, his 12 betrayed him. That would be Judas. Well, one of Furtick's 12 betrayed him. That would be Matt Chandler. And how did Matt Chandler betray, betray Stephen Furtick? By preaching the biblical gospel. Just weird. It's just, you know, it's like watching Jesus' life mirrored in Stephen Furtick, except for Stephen Furtick is a mere man. Jesus was God in human flesh. Strange stuff. Okay, I'm going to fast forward to the tail end now, uh, You know, as we're doing our Code Orange revival recap uh, from the weekend. Uh, Christine Kane again, uh, as she's getting ready to wind her message down, uh, is... Well, talking, her gospel apparently is some kind of a message 
that God is able or God, with all with God all things are possible. And I want to point this out because I want you to hear it and I'll explain to you why this is not exactly good news and what's really going wrong here. Here again is Christine Kane. So anyway, she's calling the captain and then she puts the phone down and um she looks at the lady and me and she goes, Mrs. Kane, the captain has said you can come on board. This other woman, I mean, she said many four-letter words, none of them were love. And so what happened was they then opened, and you know, I mean, I'm being treated like royalty. They opened the gate, I walked down, they opened the aeroplane door, I could hear people on the air. Isn't it weird how I can, you know, just kind of pick any old spot in the middle of her um, speech and who's she talking about herself? Yeah, weird. How is this a move of God again? What am I supposed to hear God say while she's talking about herself? Do that for like really special people. They're like, who is she? Is that Madonna? Is that Lady Gaga? (laughs) Didn't know if I was to be offended. But anyway, I'm walking on the plane going, favor, favor's not fair, favor's not fair. Anyway, so I'm on there. And so now the plane's in Chicago. We're going to take off. I'm texting everyone accidentally. And, um, you know, God's on my side. I just got a miracle. It's been a long time since this kind of, you know, the door's opening, the whole deal's happening. And, um, and then we're in the line and the captain comes over the loudspeaker about 30 minutes later. He says, ladies and gentlemen, because of bad weather, one of the runways has been shut down. They're only operating one runway. And so we are now number 27 for takeoff. We haven't got enough gas to stay in line and then to, to um, be able to fly and land. So we have to get out of line. We have to go back to the gate, refuel, and maybe we might get a clearance for takeoff tonight, but we don't anticipate it. So, you know, within 10 seconds, I went from favors not fair. I'm God's chosen child. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. I was preaching for you and I did all of this and you couldn't have even... You know how you go, none of you, just pastors. Okay, so we were just like, you know, this isn't going to work. Well, this has never happened before or since, but I don't know what happened. So I just went, God... I don't know what you can do, but I just want to see my girls. So the plane turns round, like to go down the middle, to go down the closed runway so that it can go back to the gate. As God is my witness, the plane, tur- the captain comes over the loudspeaker and goes, ladies and gentlemen, please ensure that your seatbelts are securely fastened. We have been cleared for an immediate takeoff. He chucks a 180, puts it on full throttle, goes down the closed runway, and we take off. And I'm waving to the other 26 aeroplanes saying, I don't know what happened. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. Okay. Now, the reason I, I played this leading up again, she's preaching about herself and her life experience. I, I, I mean, seriously, um, the word of God is living and active, not your life stories. Um, so, yeah, your life stories don't have the power to bring people to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. Just saying. Um, but uh, here now we begin to hear she's talking about God's favor and she mangles the concept biblically. And now she's, you know, we're getting to the point where uh, in her style of preaching, she is building up to the point where she's going to be screaming about and everyone's going to be clapping about, you know, big emotional thing going on here about God's favor and, and how nothing is impossible with God. But see, the thing is, is that the, the message, nothing is impossible with God, is not the gospel. Uh, it's a it's a fact. It's absolutely true. 
However, God is not up in heaven, you know, basically sitting on his hands, looking at you going, when are you going to figure out that nothing's impossible with me? I mean, as soon as you figure out, then I'll be able to bless you and grace you with my favor. But until then, I'm pretty much powerless. Um, yeah, that that's not what's happening at all. Remember, God is God. He's sovereign. He's the Lord. He's king. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God has a sovereign will, which is why Scripture says when we pray anything according to his will, um, he will hear an answer. So, um, yeah, the way this is being preached is that as soon as you come to the realization that nothing is impossible with God, then God will start making the impossible happen in your life. The Bible doesn't teach this, yet this is exactly the implication of what it is that she's saying here. We continue. When was the last time you just believed God? In situations where you think, you know, that can't happen. But God can make a way from, from small personal things to big global things. You know, when we started the A21 campaign, ah, remember this weekend, we're the, when we started the A21 campaign, pretty amazing. We hired some top consultants, top, top consultants to come and do a feasibility study in, um, in Thessaloniki, Greece, about the whole of Eastern Europe and what we should do. And you know, the Lord, I, I just had a, 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 uh, Here we go again, another life story. ...sense from the Lord that we were to start in that region of the world, I already knew. We had talked to the consultants before I'd been. I said, I know this region is very dark. The faith sector is very small, very embryonic. The church sector is very small in this region of the world. That's why there's so much darkness, because of the absence of light. And, um, and then I said, and I know it's an, an economic mess. Didn't quite realize how bad it was in, but I knew it was, it was not good economically. I knew there was major corruption with anti-trafficking authorities, that there were very few laws that were protecting the rights of girls as victims and children as victims of trafficking, and that there had been um, no uh, convictions of traffickers, and that we would have our work cut out for us. And that's why nobody was there, because it was so difficult. And so we called the consultants in, remembering I didn't ask them to come in and tell me if we could start A21 in Eastern Europe. It was just going to be, how were we supposed to start? And so they came in, and I was flying to meet them in Thessaloniki. My husband was already there with them, and Nick called me. I was in Frankfurt Airport in the airport lounge. And he said to me, he said, honey, are you sitting down? You're not going to like what you're going to hear. Now, that's not a great way to start any conversation. He says, I know what you're like. You're not going to like this. He said, they've done the whole feasibility study. It was like a 100-page document, extremely comprehensive, about talking with the European Union, the European Parliament, and it, trafficking authorities. I mean, it was as comprehensive as you will ever get. And he said to me, really, Christine, this is the bottom line. This is what you're flying over to. At the, at the end of the whole feasibility study, their suggestion is, this is their words verbatim. They said, we strongly recommend that you do not start the A21 campaign in Eastern Europe because it will be impossible to see any convictions of traffickers, to find girls rescued because of... And then they went on to list the reasons. And all the reasons were the same reasons that I had given them. And they went through and I thought, I paid you a lot of money and flew you across the world to tell me what I already knew. And all of a, all of a sudden, right there, in the airport lounge in Frankfurt, which me and everybody else in that lounge will remember this moment, because extremely inappropriately loudly, I stood up 
into my cell phone and I had my own Numbers 13 experience. Now I know I'm not Caleb, but God used Caleb in Numbers 13. She had a Numbers 13 experience, just like Caleb. Now she's reading herself into the story of Numbers. This isn't exegesis, this is eisegesis, and it's narcissistic at that, which makes it narcissus. To motivate and inspire me in the 21st century to take some steps of faith and a risk. And so I stood up. And I went, you tell them that we are well able to do what God has called us to do. We are well able to take the land. And can I just tell you, four years since that report. that So, yeah, just like Caleb, we're well able to take the land. This isn't the gospel, nor is this Christian preaching, because this basically makes God into our butler. As soon as you realize that nothing's impossible with him, you can pretty much strong-arm him into anything. still have frames that tells me it's impossible. By the grace of God, A21 is in six nations, not just one. We have traffickers in jail. We have girls rescued and restored, and their lives turned around. Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. With God... All things are possible. Yeah, um, he seemed to forget the fact that he's sovereign and that he has a will and he's God and king. And it just, again, this is not the gospel. And as a result of it, we're not really hearing sound biblical teaching here. This is just pipe dreams. All things are possible. God is still the God that parts the Red Sea. Yeah, the Red Sea and the walls of Jericho are the obstacles in your life now. Um, that's not how you read the Bible. God is still a God that makes a way where there is no way. We will not rationalize God. We will not shrink God. Our God is so big, there is nothing our God cannot do. That's yeah, the problem is, is the, the God you're describing here isn't the God of the Bible. It's more like a genie God. Um a big genie god at that who can do the impossible, of course, but, um, yeah. Nothing our God cannot do. And I love this house because you have a pastor and a faith that believes that with God all things are possible. And we will never shrink God down to our level of experience. We will elevate. Yeah, weird, because you've done nothing but talk about your experiences um, and you really haven't preached the biblical text our lives to come into alignment with the truth of the word of God and what God declares and decrees. That's what we're going to do. Declare and decree word of faith heresy talk. So let me tell you, what are the main reasons most of us give up on the promises of God? You know, I'm 45. I've been doing this for over two decades, planted in one church for that long. I love it. See, when you're in a healthy house, you don't need to run anywhere else. When you find a healthy family. Still talking about herself. Stay in a healthy family. But I've seen people come and go. I've seen people more gifted than me, more talented than me. I've seen people walk with the Lord for a year, some for 10 years. Yeah, I'm done hearing about this woman. Okay, so, you know, i got to take a second break. I, I, I need to reset the brain here for a second. Take a second break and uh, and come back and we'll leave Christine Kane and talk about what Ed Young and Stephen Furtick said last night at uh, the Code 
Orange Revival. All right, so if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. You can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Think Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two, Fighting for the Faith. We are well into it here in our Code Orange Revival Weekend Recap, the event that I'm lovingly referring to as the Heresy Olympics, 12 days of really crazy teaching. Sunday was no better than Saturday, I just want to let you know, if you thought Christine Kane was um, bad, well, wait till you hear what's next. All right, moving along, what we're going to do now is I'm going to play audio from Stephen Furtick's, uh, he gives these little mini sermon thingies uh, at the Revival, where he's preaching through the Elevation Church's code. And uh, it's important as you're listening to this to remember this fact. What he is about to say is not taught in the Bible. It's not conceptually taught in the Scripture. It's not, uh, you know, for instance, you know, know, when we talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, you know, if you ever talk to a Jehovah's Witness when they come to your door, they'll be so happy and gleeful to tell you that that the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. And and some Christians, that trips them up. Really? It it doesn't? Well, that must mean it's not really a Bible teaching. No, that's not what it means. Um, The the, the word Trinity is, is kind of a theological word that was coined to describe or, you know, to kind of compact and compress into one word what God has revealed about his nature in Scripture. 
Okay, that being the case, what you're going to hear Stephen Furtick say here is not even conceptually taught in Scripture. And as you're listening to this, keep in mind that there at Elevation Church, uh, they are behind the vision of Stephen Furtick. He is the man who's received a vision. And, and Elevation Church has their own unique mission in the world that's different than any other church's mission, apparently. And so this code of theirs isn't found in the scriptures. It's found in the vision of Stephen Furtick. And the concept here is, is that we need your seat. See if any of this makes any biblical sense whatsoever. Here's Stephen Furtick. Each night of our Code Orange Revival, we've had a different emphasis where we're just taking one of the elements of our core values as a church we call it our code and in code orange revival we wanted to go each night with a different element of the code it's a good way for us to stay true to what god has called us to be and do as a church it's it's a good way to stay true to what god has called us to be not the whole church no just elevation church this code is unique to them because uh, it's part of the vision, specific vision, apparently, that God has given to uh, Stephen Furtick. And refocus in the new year. And then so many of you, in fact, thousands of you who are coming through Code Orange Revival over the... So it's important to note this, that as Stephen Furtick preaches through these 12 values uh, of their code, um, he's engaging in what the seeker-driven church guys uh, call vision casting. He's recasting vision here in order to keep people focused on their specific unique vision. The 12 nights are brand new to our church. It's a great way for us to tell you what we're about. Uh, you deserve to know what our church believes and not just get swept up in kind of what we're doing and how it feels, but to really know what we're about. And uh, if you just come to the revival and cycle through here, and this is essentially a performing arts center where you come get your little christian fix and yet you don't belong to a local church i want you to know you haven't had revival you've been entertained oh you don't like that yeah i would even add to that if you haven't heard jesus christ really at the center and and god's word properly preached you haven't had revival either you've only been entertained by false doctrine or had your you know your itching ears scratched you believe that don't you because revival means to live. To live, you've got to be connected to a body. And so we wanted to bring in world-class preachers to our local church and then also share with churches around the world. It's been a blessing to hear other churches reporting in. And, and we, want to, we want to help any church we can to build their church. But um, as I share each night, I like to take one of those values from the code and just say, here's a thought about it. And, and not explain it in some, you know, condensed way, but just minister it in a personal application way. And so if you would just be seated for a moment tonight in God's presence, I'm going to share very briefly, and then uh, I'll introduce our speaker, and we're going to have a wonderful time in God's Word. But the, the one that I felt on my heart, I've just been opening them up on my phone uh, each afternoon getting prepared and then praying through them. Okay, where are we at now, God? Which one do I need to share? And the one that came to my heart tonight, and I think you'll find this appropriate, those of you who are um, here live with us, you might, not, you might not get it as much online, but 
The one we put down that sounds kind of funny to people sometimes is one of our statements is, we need your seat. Okay, can I stop there? Where in the Bible is does it teach that uh, churches need to re, to constantly emphasize as part of their mission that uh, that well their seat is needed at the church. In other words, you need to vacate it. That's the idea. I mean, this doesn't even make logical sense, yet alone biblical sense. It rubs people the wrong way sometimes because it's like, well, isn't a church supposed to be like, you know, hey. This this is all about you, and um, you know we'll reserve you a seat if you give a certain dollar amount and all of that, and 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 uh, we're we're here to make sure that that you get what you need and we don't disrupt you. And when we started our church, we wanted to have a different attitude, like this, like we want anybody who who is far away from God to be able to come here and find a place, but we don't want anybody who has a relationship with God who doesn't care about reaching people far from God to stay here very long because if that's your MO, you're taking up valuable space where we can reach someone and there's a hurting, dying, broken broken world. We don't have time to fill church buildings. They're expensive to build and this is... So don't come here expecting really to be fed. That's kind of the sub, you know, subplot of this uh, concept. We need your seat so that we can reach lost people. When did when did seats become the um, the bottleneck in reaching the lost? I, that's I mean I've never even heard this before. Apparently, you know we don't want to fill up this church because if we fill it up, then we're not going to be able to reach lost people. That's, I mean that's crazy talk. Um, I mean. Hmm. Weird. Um, is Elevation Church the only church reaching people for Jesus in Charlotte? And are they really reaching people for Jesus is my question. But um, this doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, I, I think the people there at Elevation should really take this section of the code to heart and obey it as soon as they, uh, you know, as soon as they are brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins, they need to leave that church immediately. They because you know they need their seat there. This is weird. It's hard to do, and it's very demanding. And so we're not doing this and giving our lives, and our staff and our volunteers aren't showing up so that we can just kind of register some new little revelation knowledge in your already overloaded Christian vocabulary. Yeah, we're- yeah. Don't come here expecting to you know learn Christian vocabulary, overloaded Christian vocabulary. At that no, we need your seat. We want to reach someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And apparently the only way to do that is with an empty seat. And that's at the heartbeat of this church. Now, if that sounds mean or if that sounds hateful. No, it sounds like you just made it up. First of all, it doesn't make rational or logical sense. Two, and the most important one, this isn't taught in Scripture. This is not a biblical teaching. And that's what you need to know. Nowhere in Scripture does it say anything about, yeah, we need your seat so that we can reach the world. I mean, the last time I checked, the way uh, churches really ought to operate is this idea that, um, think of it as a beehive, if you would, uh, that as the beehive gets to be bursting at the seams, 
the the you know a new queen arises so to speak i'm not using royalty language here uh, you know because i'm saying pastors or queens but that that but you know there's a split you know there's a split that goes on and then there's two beehives really simple stuff i mean this is how the church has operated for 2000 years that there's that unbelievers are always welcome in the congregation to hear the word of God and to hear the gospel preached. We'll make room for you, but the Christians are in church in order to be fed. That's the reason why they're there. They're there to hear God's word, to be fed God's word, to be taught God's word. That's the purpose of the church gathering together as the church. So here, Stephen Furtick has flipped this all on the head. Apparently, uh, church is some ongoing uh, uh, evangelistic crusade, but don't come here expecting to fill up your notebook and learn biblical language and terminology and stuff like that. We need your seat. Folks, if you're going to Elevation Church, please take this to heart and leave. Go and find a church where the pastor is going to teach you God's word so that the folks there at Elevation have a bunch of empty seats. They need those. Why don't you ask a cat who had a nasty divorce and came to our church, and because we had a focus on reaching people far from God, she... she went from feeling like her life was over to today she now has a ministry that the Lord has called her to start and she's full of hope how many of y'all know Kat where's Kat where'd she go and and so yeah she's full of hope uh, but she <laughs> doesn't sound like she's full of sound doctrine because you can't expect that there because notice what he does he pits you know literally in-depth biblical teaching from the pulpit against uh, evangelism. Th this is a constant theme in seeker-driven churches. Now, I'm going to leave uh, Furtick here. I just wanted you to hear him uh, preaching about his code and remind you all that not none of what he said is actually found in Scripture. This is all part of the unique vision, apparently, that God has given to uh, Elevation Church. Now, what I want to do before I dive into this next segment here is I actually have to give you a news story, and, and that's from the uh, Christian Post. Dun, dun, dun. The headline reads... Sex experiment. Ed Young suffers eye injury and leaves before 24 hours. One of the things I've said before on the program is, is that it's really difficult to parody American evangelicalism because it's constantly parodying itself. This is an example of that. And it's just, it, this is just one of those things where, uh, you know, Alanis Morissette's song, Isn't It Ironic, comes to um, mind. You know, isn't it ironic, don't you think? A little too ironic. But um, it's so, <laughs> so here was the idea is, is that leading up to this past Friday, the, you know, just a few days ago on Friday, um, you know, it, Ed Young was out there. Letting everybody know about his brand new book, Sex Experiment. And, uh, of course, you know, this is a big deal, you know, because he's going to go out there and save marriages, apparently with his Sex Experiment book. And so he decided in order to promote this, he was going to engage in a publicity stunt where he and his wife, Lisa, would spend 24 hours in a bed on the roof of, uh, of Fellowship Church out there in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. 
And what was really funny is is that you know when this you know when this was announced and it started to hit the news that this is what Ed Young was going to be doing, I remember there were some people on my Facebook wall saying that oh the thought of it just burns my eyes out. I, I, I that was the the concept that you know ooh yeah I, the last thing I want to see is Ed Young and Lisa in bed on the top of their uh, the roof anyway. So this. Weird that this is what ended up happening, but this was written by Anugrah Kumar of the Christian Post. Story reads, Ed Young, founding pastor of Texas-based Fellowship Church, suffered a minor eye injury from exposure to the sun (laughs) during the 24-hour bed-in with his wife, Lisa, on the church's roof to discuss truths about sex before a live Internet audience. Dressed warmly... (laughs) If you've seen, if you haven't seen the pictures, it's worth going to the Christian Post to, you know, just look up Ed Young and Sex Experiment and look. I mean, they look miserable. I mean, I've seen people who've been on ski slopes wearing less uh, clothing as far as necessary to keep warm. Apparently, it was a cold night night there in (laughs) in uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and and the elements weren't exactly in their favor but uh, you know they put their bedroom set up there and they were dressed in really 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 warm clothes i mean i mean it looked like well it looked like the opposite kind of clothing that you would wear if you were trying to you know talk about the issue of sex i mean it's it was like sex prevention clothing is what it looked like to me but anyway uh, dressed warmly, Ed and Lisa Young remained under a white comforter in bed on the roof of their Grapevine megachurch, conducting bedside interviews, talking via Skype with pastors and friends about sex in marriage from God's perspective. But the eye injury forced the couple to take a break toward the last few hours ahead of their scheduled 6 a.m. <laughs> Central Standard Time ending time on Saturday, the live stream of the 24-hour bed-in carried on however with volunteers taking over in the absence of the pastor's couple the youngs spoke to friends and pastors including mac and julie richard from lake hills church in austin uh, Stephen furtick pastor of elevation uh singer and songwriter israel houghton carl and laura lentz from hillsong new york and matthew and caroline barnett from the dream center in los angeles the bed-in was aimed at encouraging married couples to see firsthand the power of a healthy sex life as prescribed in their new book, Sex Experiment, Seven Days to Lasting Intimacy with Your Spouse. The couple stress that sex in marriage is not for procreation, only God created it also for recreation. Lovely. They also encourage single men and women not to experiment with sex until they are married. Anyway, so you get the point of it. And what was really funny was I was watching the Sex Experiment Twitter hashtag <laughs> And there were people out, literally on Twitter, trying to make it sound like uh, Ed and Lisa Young had somehow taken one from for the kingdom. You know that 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 they were brave, brave in what they had done, and and that they had suffered for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I sent out a couple of tweets to the effect of, "Yeah, listen, burning your eyes out." during a publicity stunt is not even remotely close to the same thing as suffering for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, oh man, I mean, this is just comedy at its highest. Anyway, so here, that's the setup here. And of course, Ed Young was the uh, featured Code Orange revival speaker for Sunday night. And 
you know, of course, he was welcomed, you know, like a, you know, a wounded war hero, wounded war hero. It makes me wonder, I mean, I mean, can can he put in for a purple heart, you know, as you know, in the kingdom of God for, you know, his eye injury sustained during his publicity stunt. But, uh, you know, it it, got to tell you, it was tough to watch the revival (laughs) sermon that Ed Young uh, delivered. And here's the reason why. Aside from having a um, a private jet and a really 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 large home on the lake, um, and you know and a and you know a, a private uh, condo in the Miami area and a uh, his own uh, fishing boat out there in the Miami area, uh, it's clear that Ed Young uh, has had some um, age reducing type surgery. And so as a result of it, when he got up on stage, I mean, the the main part of his body that was sunburned was his face. And so looking at sunburned Botox, well, it was just not pretty. Anyway, I, that's just my personal opinion. I, I, I don't particularly prefer to see uh, people who have had Botox or regularly use it experience sunburns because it kind of gives kind of a creepy dead feeling to their skin. Anyway... Just saying. So uh, Ed Young picking up on Stephen Furtick's code theme here. What you know, he spent a, a portion of his sermon uh, talking about well the need to rescue people. And so I want to make something clear. There was some merit to the things that uh, Ed Young had to say, and and encouraging Christians to go out and share the gospel message. That, that I would never ever condemn anybody for saying that because that's exactly what scripture teaches us to do however mixed into this admonition and pep speech in order you know encouraging folks to go out and to reach the lost um is this seeker driven ecclesiology and um an idea regarding evangelism that ends up in a sense kind of, you know, toppling, you know, the good that he was doing. And and here's the reason why. I mean, I mean, let me put it this way. If I were somebody who was selling something like Evian water, okay, let's say that I had set up a, uh, uh, an Evian water station, you know, out here uh, in, in my neighborhood, because not too far from where I live, there's a, there's a running trail and uh, there's there's people out there walking and jogging you know on this running trail on a daily basis and so let's say that i decided i was going to set up a water station there on on the on the uh, running trail in order to serve my uh, my my jogger neighbors and uh, and so i put you know some bottled water out there but you know let's say that well you know i this idea of clean drinking water is um so, you know, old school. I mean, I mean, who wants unflavorful water? So I decided to just, you know, throw into the mix, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, a manure, maybe some arsenic, you know, just to kind of brighten up the flavor of the water a little bit. Would you be willing to uh, drink any of that water knowing that I had, even if I had just put in a few drops of arsenic and maybe just a little bit of dung in order to, you know, to heighten the flavor? Would you be uh, all that excited about drinking that water? Probably not. And see, that's the problem here with Ed Young's, um, well, sermon, I don't know what to call it, is that uh, he's uh, 
it, it, the good that he's put in there is kind of counteracted by the poison that he's uh, added to it and the full-on sheep beating that goes on uh, there. And uh, you'll see what I mean uh, what, by sheep beating here in a minute. But uh, here's Ed Young, and he's talking about the need to rescue people who are drowning. The metaphor is is that the, you know he was out on his fishing boat, saw somebody you know out past the marina in the in in the surf in the water who was going under for the last time, and they were able to rescue that person, okay? And, you know, help, I'm drowning is the idea. But uh, here's Ed Young. A life ring. There's nothing like it. But a life ring is not just a life ring by itself, is it? I mean, God did not just say, okay, here's Jesus. Just, just the ring. No, 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 here's what God did. Watch very carefully. There's rope attached to the ring. Sounds like a clock. God put a rope to the ring. And then God, once we grasp onto the ring, pulls us in. So once you notice one thing, if you're taking notes, the ring is the thing. Let me say that again. The ring is the thing. Say it with me. The ring is the thing. Matthew, Jesus apparently is the ring. So the ring is the thing. You know, Jesus is the life ring, you know, rescuing drowning people. 28 verses 19 and 20. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. In the original language, as you're going. What's Christ saying? Get your ass in gear. Get your ass on the boat. Untie the boat from the marina. Hit the wind and the... Really? Um, wow, that's really appropriate Christian preaching there. In the waves, face the sunburn, the ring is the thing. The ring is the thing. Elevation Church, the ring is the thing. Therefore, go, not yo, go and make disciples of all nations. What's a disciple? Well, I hate to tell you this, but I played basketball at Florida State University. Most of my career was spent doing what you're doing right now. Uh, by the way, uh, biblically, a disciple is a learner, but that's not what he says. And uh, you know, he points to himself. I'm not exactly sure what this, what the point of that is. Uh, but biblically, just real quick, what's a disciple? A disciple is a learner. That's what a disciple is. But I. I was on scholarship there. I often wondered why they gave me a full scholarship, Pastor. Now I know because they had me to take care of the star players. They'd always put the star players in my hotel room before the game on road trips to keep them calm. And I think that was really why I played. Anyway, but I did average 76.2 points a game in warm-ups. I counted my points in warm-ups. I think it's a record. I'll come back to Florida State in a second. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Go, H2O. The first test, the litmus test of my faith is to do what? Liquidate. Liquidate. Have you been baptized? Have you been advertised? Uh, have you been advertised? No, I want to point something out here. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that baptism is so that you can show the world that you've made a decision for Jesus. This is what evangelicalism has stooped to in their misunderstanding of what baptism is all about. And I would challenge you, 
read the biblical text regarding baptism. It's so much more and so much greater than that. Um, I would start with maybe uh, Acts chapter 2, maybe flip on over to Colossians chapter 2, and then spend a little bit of time in Romans chapter 6. Again, pointing out the fact that uh, nowhere in Scripture does it say that baptism is you advertising your decision to be a Christ follower. I mean, if that were really the case, then what we really need to do is set up bleachers in your church and invite all of your neighbors to come watch you be baptized so they can see whether or not you've really decided to be a Christ follower. That's not what the Bible teaches regarding baptism. And I know some of you are sitting there going, really? I've never heard that before. Look it up. Spend some time in the biblical passages regarding baptism, and if you want to know what the what the Bible teaches regarding regarding it, you look at the clear passages. We continue though, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Not something. Now I'm going to point something out here. He's reading from the Great Commission, okay, and what he's reading from here, what what he just read, he's going to contradict. You know, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything. Well, in order for that to be the case, okay, in order for the church to fulfill its commission, great commission, notice that the great commission is kind of split into two completely different directions. So there has to be a tension between the two of it. Uh, the two of them. Does the church exist to uh, to reach lost people? Yes, it does. Okay, go and make disciples. Make disciples is part of it, okay? Baptizing and teaching. So the full spectrum of Christian ministry involves not only focusing on people who are outside the church to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, but also a twin focus, if you would, a twin mission, is to disciple and teach all that Christ has commanded us, right? And in order to fulfill the second part of it, that means that a pastor must relentlessly and tirelessly engage in teaching the full counsel of the Word of God. Because where do we find all that Christ has commanded? Answer, in all of Scripture. Why? Because all Scripture is God-breathed, and Jesus is God in human flesh. So the church has been given a very specific commission to that has a twin focus, not a singular focus, but a twin focus, and that is evangelism and teaching. And teaching, the teaching part of it is all of the Word of God, which requires some significant biblical depth, if you would. But what he just read here, he's going to contradict in just a minute. Listen in. Everything I've commanded you. And then Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Let me say it again. I'll say it and spray it and wheel it and deal it and make you feel it. The ring is the thing. I love the ring because there's no beginning. There's no end. Jesus came from the top to the bottom to bring us from the bottom to the top. The ring is the thing. You got it? But there's something else. The hope is the rope. So the ring is the thing and the hope is the rope, okay? The hope is the rope. God the Father tossed the ring. We're drowning. We let go of the boat cushions, the poor flotation devices. We grasp the ring. God the Father 
had the rope, right? Now, obviously, today, the only institution that Jesus ever built, the local church, we got the rope. Uh, no, the uh, only institution, <laughs> Jesus is God in human flesh. Uh, um, that being the case, Jesus created everything, um, not just the church. Um, Elevation, you've got the rope. Fellowship Church, we got the rope. All the environments, you got the rope. Everybody's got the rope. We've got the rope. The only thing that Jesus ever built, not a hospital, not a school, not a parachurch organization. All those are fine and dandy. Rah, rah, rah. Go, team, go. He built the church. Yeah, um, no. Um, Jesus is God in human flesh. He made the whole universe. Um, this is just bad theology here. Maybe if he would go a little bit deeper uh, in his biblical study, he would understand that what he is saying is nonsense. Here's the church. There's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the radically rescued people. The ring is the thing, and the hope is the rope. We're saved to serve, saved to sow, saved to share. We're saved to serve. It's not about me. I thought now, now comes the, the transition. It's not about me. On some level, this is right. On another level, it's wrong because of how he fleshes this out. We continue. We're saved to serve. It's not about me. I thought it was about me. Come on. I thought it was about me, 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 me. Nope, 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 sorry. Maturity is getting outside of yourself. I'm now, notice what he's doing here. He's setting the foundation, basically saying, if you are a mature Christian, don't come ex to church expecting to be served. That's really the punchline here. And this is wrong. This is wrongheaded on so many levels. Because let me ask you this question. Where in the Bible does it say that once you hit a particular maturity level that your pastor has no obligation whatsoever to feed and care for you? Answer, the Bible doesn't teach this. So this is a bad ecclesiology that we're starting to hear at this point. Safe to serve. I'm also safe to sow. It costs a lot of cash money to have a boat. Yeah, a lot of cash money to have a seeker-driven church, most expensive church model on the planet. Literally, millions, tens of millions of dollars every year to keep the lights on, to produce the productions and, and dress up the stage and pay the musicians and the entertainers. Uh, it, it, yeah, and, you know, to, you know, for the internet broadcast and for the video cameras. I mean, yeah, it, it costs a lot of, so he's talking about sewing money. It's weird that he would use that phrase, so money. Yeah, this is kind of borderline word faith, and it's a bad doctrine regarding tithing. Listen. Quarter of a million dollar boat tied up in the marina. Let's untie it and use it what it's supposed to be used for. Let's get out there. It costs money for fuel, money to take risks, cash money. We got to sow. Are you bringing, not giving? We, we don't give. Are you bringing, not giving? We don't give 10%. you got to bring it. This is a false doctrine regarding tithing. Are you bringing the 10% to the house? Bring it. Bring it. And also, we're saved to share. My wife and I have four kids. Now they're a little bit older. And when they were young, I wrote this song. It's very complex, Holly. I tried to teach our kids how to share. And here was the word. Here's a song. It's one word. 
share, 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 share. And then you take something you need to share, share, share. Do you like that? Thank you. We're saved to share, to share our rescue story. No, we're not. We're, we're called to share the gospel. Your rescue story is not the gospel. The gospel is the story of Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, come to earth, living a perfect, sinless life, and dying on the cross for your sins. We're called to share that gospel, not your rescue story. Your rescue story is the result of the gospel. You preach Christ and him crucified, not yourself. See 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think verse 5, if you're confused on this matter. Everybody's rescue story is off the chain. Amazing, incredible, ridiculous. We need to- Not nearly as incredible and ridiculous and amazing as the story of Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins and raised again on the third day. Again, we're not called to proclaim our rescue story. We're called to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. Your rescue story is not, uh, it doesn't have the power to save people. It's absolutely true. The power is in the preaching of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, not your rescue story. To hear it, the ring is a thing. The hope is the rope. Galatians 1, 4, it says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Wow. Man, I love that. Colossians 1, 13, for he has rescued us. I'm telling you, the Bible's all about the rescue from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. The ring is the thing. The hope is the rope. There's one more. Pull. So the house will be full. Okay, now, I, I cut out what he did. Is he? Did, I, I cut this out here. He gave a kind of a, a live example. He had people up on the stage, you know, all pulling on the rope and basically saying, you know, if you're volunteering at the church, working as a parking lot attendant or doing whatever here at the church, that's you pulling on the rope in order to bring people into Christ. And the, the reality is, is that, no, that's not exactly true. It really isn't. So the boat analogy is kind of an all-hands-on-deck for the seeker-driven model, and you uh, you working in the parking lot and volunteering at the church is equivalent to pulling in and rescuing um, lost souls. Um, it's not exactly right, um, not exactly right at all. The idea here is, is that um, this would really only be true if they were preaching the gospel. And, well, at Furtick's church, it rarely gets preached, and uh, he oftentimes engages in narcissistic eisegesis. I enjoy putting him on the timer to see who he preaches about the most, Jesus or himself. And it's always weird. Uh, uh, Furtick preaches more about himself than he does Jesus, and it's like not even close when you actually examine it. But I, I digress. But now comes the interesting stuff. Now he's going to use the metaphor of a yacht club. i got to point this out. What you're about to hear, even though it might logically sound like it makes some kind of sense, this isn't a biblical teaching. He's not engaging in biblical teaching at this point. He's just spinning out his own theology, his own doctrine, his own ecclesiology. And at this point slamming other churches who are engaging in in-depth biblical teaching because he isn't 
I mean, if you listen to a sermon at Fellowship Church, he doesn't engage in in-depth biblical teaching. He scratches itching ears and tells people what they want to hear, gives them relevant life messages. And the common complaint is, is that you need to go deeper, Pastor. I'm not really learning my Bible. So watch what he does here. Please be seated. I was doing, I was doing some research the other day on the development of yacht clubs. If you look at yacht clubs in New England, many of those yacht clubs started out as rescue societies. They started out with people who were like, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to face this, I'm going to face that. We're going to rescue people. Yeah, let's go after them. A boat's down. Somebody's in trouble. Boom. We got you. Over time, though, people just started relaxing. They started buying bigger boats. Yeah, like Elevation Church and Fellowship Church, the mega churches. Those are like bigger boats, wouldn't you think? Very expensive bigger boats. Let's just eat caviar and sip expensive champagne. Let's stay tied up to the marina, this marina mentality. Let's just have a yacht club. And it's amazing how many churches start out white hot for evangelism, white hot for rescue, but then they, they just mail it in. They mail it in. Okay, now I'm going to point something out here. You know, the, when it comes to churches out there, there is a wide spectrum of problems within the church. Now, granted, okay, there are some churches out there where if you show up um, and you're not a regular attender, you may be given the cold shoulder because they're really not all that interested in ministering to people outside of their particular clique. However, I would point out to you that those churches, I think, are rare. Those are not the norm. And, in, you know, at least in my experience, it's hard for me to find a church exactly like that. In fact, um, the churches that I've been a part of, uh, you know, really over the last 20, 25 years, um, have all found a way to have an emphasis on reaching the lost and deeply teaching God's word and feeding God's sheep. But what what uh, Ed Young is going to do here, he's going to basically you know, do a broad brushstroke. And the idea here is, is to silence the people at the church who say, hey, can we go deeper in God's word? Apparently, if that's what you want, you're selfish. You're part of a yacht club, you know, and you don't care about reaching the lost. Watch this. It's so interesting. The ring is the thing. The hope is the rope pull. So your house will be full. Think about Jesus for a second. The bookends of his ministries were all about reaching people. The bookends. When he went public with his ministry and right before he ascended. Bookends of his faith were all about, we need your seat. Uh, No, they were not. Nowhere in scripture can you say that Jesus was all about, we need your seat. I mean, Jesus doesn't teach it conceptually. He doesn't teach it explicitly. This is not a biblical teaching. And attributing it to Jesus is blasphemous. In a biblically functioning community, we should be comforted by Christ, but uncomfortable for Christ. 
uncomfortable, uncomfortable, uncomfortably uncomfortable. We're comforted by Christ, uncomfortable for Him. That's why I love this place. There's that holy tension involved, just enough discomfort to get your ass in gear to be about the business. The ring is the thing. The hope is the rope pull, so the house will be full. Well, I'm not the enemy. I'm not the devil, but let me play the devil for a second. Because if I'm the devil, if I am the devil, I will get up inside your mind, get up in your grill, up between you and your makeup, and whisper some, some, some lies. Because see... If- okay, now I'm going to point something out to you. This is the setup. So at this point... Uh, Ed Young, by his own admission, is, quote, playing devil's advocate. He's playing the role of the devil, and he's going to expose for you lies of the devil. Okay? Let's see if this turns out to be the case. Uh, Is what we're going to hear next truly lies from the devil, or is he really actually attacking what the Bible teaches? Listen in. If I'm a believer, you know... I have got to to have some sort of rationale why I'm not involved in this process. And obviously, a lot of believers buy into what I'm going to get into. It's, it's, It's a bunch of lies from the pit of hell. You know, it's kumbaya, Lord, kumbaya. Us four no more, Lord, kumbaya. Us four no more, Lord. I would admit that if the church has that attitude, that would be satanic. But again, I don't know. I, it, I got to tell you, it's hard to find churches like that. Really, really difficult. Uh, we'll flip off the rest of the world, Lord, kumbaya. We're growing deeper, kumbaya. Mm, we're growing deeper, kumbaya. So apparently, uh, one of the uh, signs that your church cares only about themselves and not the dying world is if they're going deeper. That's not a lie from the devil. Yeah, going deeper is what Christ commanded us in the Great Commission, teaching them all, not some, not part of it, just a couple of verses, just a couple of relevant life application verses. No, all that I've commanded. And where will we find that? In all of Scripture. Pastors are commanded to preach the Word. And not just part of it, but the full counsel of the Word of God. If they're not doing that, they are not fulfilling the Great Commission. But apparently, going deeper? Well, that's satanic. Hmm. I don't see that in Scripture. Well, I made this word up. Here are some rescuses that I've collected over the years. Because, see, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I've had a lot of opportunities to see a lot of different churches. And I want to tell you, what's happening here is abnormal. Let me say it again. I don't think you heard me. What's happening here is highly unusual. Yes, what's happening at Elevation is highly unusual in the sense that they have got a rock star cult going on there. And, I mean, mean, seriously, to the point where people are talking about Stephen Furtick as if he's the Messiah. Uh, Yeah, and, uh, and, well, yeah, it's, it's... it's different, all right. And yeah, he's scratching itching ears, and he's there's a lot of people coming to the building. Yeah, rapid growth in that sense. It's yeah, it's unusual for sure. You can look at the history, at the history. Go back to Acts two of the church, and you'll not see very many movements like this. This ain't normal. So 
The enemy, I'm telling you, this is where he attacks, is going to give you and me, everybody who's into this, excuses. And I've collected them. There's several. Now, if these I- are, just so you know, these are satanic. These are from the devil's rescuses. Okay? Excuses for not going out and rescuing people. First one is, <clears throat> the sheeple excuse. Sheeple. Oh, wow, this church is growing. They grew from zero to 27,000 in two months. Amazing. One question. Who are you reaching? Now, I want to point this out. This is a valid question. If you're going to engage in evangelism, evangelism requires you to preach law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins to unbelievers. Evangelism is not measured in in the sense of how many people transferred their membership from one church to another. Okay, so this is a valid point. And if we're going to talk about evangelism, let's talk about evangelism, reaching people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and at war with God and preaching the gospel to them and watching God the Holy Spirit perform a miracle, the miracle of regeneration, of bringing them to repentance and faith in Christ, raising them from the dead, taking their heart of stone and basically replacing it with a heart of flesh. That's a miracle. So, yeah, this is a valid point, and I would say that uh, fooling yourself into believing that you, that the kingdom of God is growing as a result of sheep moving from one stall to another, yeah, okay, that's not really evangelism, and the kingdom of God isn't growing. I'm with them here. So much of what we call church growth is moving. My sound effect's not as good because my, 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 my face is all jacked up. But trust me, I could do it much better. If I, if I was not sunburned, I could do it better. That's, that's weak, I know. It hurts. Ow. Moving herds of sheeple from this church to that church, from that church to this church. That's not gross. Man, you guys this year baptized about a squillion people? That's growth. That's rescue. Keep on keeping on. The ring is the thing. The hope is the rope. Pull so the house will be full. Wow. The sheeple excuse. Oh, here's another one. The safety excuse. Let's just play it safe. Maybe we'll get out there a little bit in the ways, but uh uh-oh, the seas are two to four. I'm not sure about that. Let's turn around. You might get seasick. Is that SPF 45 or 50? Yeah, no, see, on this particular excuse, the safety excuse, I don't even know what he's talking about. I mean, the reality is is that you don't have to risk your life to, to preach the gospel. And if, if you're attending a church where your pastor is really, truly feeding you God's word, teaching you in depth what the Bible teaches you, and totally focuses on Christ and him crucified for our sins— then it's going to be hard for you not to share that good news with your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, um, anybody that you can possibly uh, talk to, whether it's the gal who cuts your hair to the uh, lady at the checkout stand to the kid who bags your groceries. You're going to, you know, you'll share this and there's not much risk involved in that. So, um, yeah, but in order to do that, you have to actually be, you have to know the scriptures pretty well because when you start sharing the gospel, um, people are immediately going to start giving you their 
their idolatrous religious opinions, so you need to be prepared to give an answer uh, when you start sharing the gospel. This is what Scripture teaches. But, okay, uh, this is kind of flimsy. These guys might be too big, and the girl, I don't know. We should, we should take that risk, honey. Let's just play it safe. It's so easy to play it safe to be conservative. And the bigger the fellowship becomes, you want to go, man, let's just, let's just, let's just play it safe. Let's stay within the guidelines and guardrails. Let's just play it safe. When, I ask you, when did Jesus, when? Do the disciples play it safe? What? Say what with me? What? Yeah. So are you sinning if uh, you know you're just engaging in everyday, ordinary, grassroots, basic evangelism? You know, as you're going, you know, pray, preaching Christ and Him crucified to our sins to anybody you can talk to. I mean, or uh, you know, or is it okay if you do that that way? Or, or do you have to take an audacious risk? I mean, there's, I mean, granted, there's nothing wrong with risk-taking per se. And, you know, yeah, it's nice to be bold for the gospel. But does everybody have to be that way? You understand what I'm saying? What? It brings me to the next one, one of my favorite ones. Oh, you'll, you'll hear this until the... It's a cow. The cows come home. Now, I want to point this out. At this point, you're going to hear false doctrine. Pitting true, in-depth, biblical... Uh, discipleship against evangelism. And this is a false ecclesiology. Why? Because when the church gathers, uh, to, you know, they gather to hear God's word, to feed on the word of God, and to feed on the Lord's Supper. Okay? So when the church gathers, um, the, the church has business to do. The, the, the purpose of a church service is not, is not an evangelistic event, but to feed God's sheep. That's the purpose of church I mean, when we gather together. So we got a problem here. Watch what he does. I've heard this my whole life. I've heard this for almost 21 years. Fellowship Church is almost 21 years. Lisa and I began the church with 30 families. We heard it. We've heard this for 21 years. And now our church is much, much bigger than that. The depth excuse. You'll hear it. It's just not deep enough. I'm just looking for depth, depth. All rescues happen in the deep. Now, stop. Notice what he did there. We're looking for depth. The, the definition there has to do with, you know, pastor, your job is to preach the word. Notice in the seeker-driven movement, the pastors preach to meet felt needs. They do a sociological survey and find out what people want to hear in church, and then they preach those messages. And when you look at the seeker-driven lectionary, and that's the right way of discussing it, then what happens is is that you know the year begins with a vision-casting sermon. As we get into February and Valentine's Day, we got to talk about sex and and marriage and relationships. And and then you know as we get towards the end of the school year, you might want to put in a, a sermon of a series about well-behaved children. Um, to, uh, always finances. You got to do a financial management, uh, you know, uh, series. Uh, then when we get into the summer uh, months, then we preach on popular movies. Uh, coming into the fall, you know, you have a kickoff there, and maybe you could talk about purpose or careers or you know things like that. And then you got the holiday season, which requires you to you know kind of weave some stuff in that might have.
have to do with Thanksgiving and Christmas. But don't worry, you can make every passage about yourself, and then you know you get to the end of the year and you repeat. And literally, if you were to count up the verses that are preached annually in a seeker-driven church, you might get 1% to 2% of the whole Bible. And rarely do you get um, you know, in-depth biblical teaching on an entire book or an entire section of Scripture over and again. It's always these relevant life tip type verses ripped from context and strung together in in some kind of a meaningful life you know you know apply these strategies to make your life better kind of way that's not biblical teaching and so what happens is is that the common the common the common complaint from christians to pastors like this is man i'm just there's no depth there's no meat here and they're right there isn't okay and so this is the the, the pat answer don't come to me, church person, and expect me, your pastor, to feed you. Okay? Now, before we get into this, I would like to read to you a section of Scripture. Actually, two passages in particular. One is from the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 34. And I want you to listen to what the Lord God, Yahweh, says to uh, the folks of the Old Testament, to the shepherds of his people. He's not talking about uh, shepherds in the literal sense. He's talking about people who've been called to teach the word, if you would, to the rabbis, to the teachers, to uh, you know the synagogue rulers and the folks like that. Ezekiel 34, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you rule over them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over the mountains and over every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or to seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely because my sheep have become prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves, and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not, may not be food for them. Hmm. You think um, God here is in favor of this idea that, Listen, you starving sheep who don't know God's word and are becoming prey for Every wolf out there, wolf being a false teacher, it's your job to feed yourself. Stop expecting God's, you know, God's pastors to feed you. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is actually here rebuking these shepherds who refuse to care for God's sheep. This is why the pastoral office, the duties of the pastoral office are taught for us 
clearly in Scripture in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus. Let me give you another passage that you know you want to hang your hat on here. Second Timothy chapter four, the apostle Paul giving instruction to young Pastor Timothy. This is in one of the pastoral epistles, and this is and these instructions don't apply just to Timothy; they apply to all Christian pastors. Here's what he says: First uh, Timothy, uh, sorry, Second Timothy chapter four, verse one. You know, I may want to back this up just a little bit. Um, Yep. Uh, I, here we go. I'm going to back it up uh, to Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse fourteen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Notice here, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, points Timothy back to the Scriptures. So let me ask you this. Um, which of you um, Christians out there are experts in God's Word? Would you consider yourself to be an expert, fully equipped? I mean, you don't even need to read the Bible anymore. You got it. Anybody out there? You, you got it. You don't. You don't need to hear God's word anymore. You, you, you know, all sixty-six books, the full content of it, every doctrine, every teaching, everything that's in it. You got it. You don't need to hear it anymore. <laughs> there isn't one of you out there, is there? No, there isn't. So here, Pastor Timothy is instructed by the Apostle Paul, pointed back to the Scriptures. Continue in what you've learned being acquainted with the sacred writings that make you wise for salvation. And then he points out the benefits of God's word. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Christians never, ever, ever graduate from the school of discipleship when it comes to knowing and learning and relearning and relearning and what God's word says. It's a big book. You need to, in fact, you're a lifelong disciple of Jesus. You never graduate from learning God's Word. You never graduate from Bible 101 as a Christian, okay? All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by, and by his appearing, Preach the word. So the command for pastors, this is a command not just to Timothy, but to Ed Young. It is a command to Stephen Furtick, to Perry Noble, to every pastor. Your job, pastor, is to preach the word. All of it. All scripture is God-breathed. All of it. Your job is to preach all of it. So if your sheep are saying to you, there's no depth here, we need to go deeper, that says you're not actually fulfilling your duties as a pastor. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Because a time is coming, and I would say, and now is. A time is coming, and now is, when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
and one more passage from the Gospel according to John, chapter 21, starting at verse 15. This is after Jesus' resurrection, where Jesus restores Peter after his denial of Jesus. Remember, Peter denied Christ three times on the night that he was betrayed, three times before he was crucified. I mean, if anyone would want to despair, it would have been Peter. Remember, Jesus says, If you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. But here Jesus restores him. And watch what Jesus tells Peter in his restoration. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So do you think uh, Peter was able to get off the hook regarding the feeding and tending and caring for Christ's sheep? Not on your life. In fact, his entire ministry is marked by constant feeding, caring, and tending to Christ's sheep. Not once do you find in the apostolic writings, yet alone anything written from Peter, where he basically instructs Christians, listen, just grow up and feed yourself. Stop expecting me to take care of you, and I'm sick and tired of you constantly complaining. Can we please go deeper in the words of Christ? Come on! No, the apostolic ministry is obsessed with depth, obsessed with fulfilling the church's mission of uh, basically preaching the entire counsel of the word of God and attending and caring and feeding for Christ's sheep. Now, is this what we're hearing from um, Ed Young, or are we hearing the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches regarding the job of a pastor, a shepherd in Christ's church? Listen in. What? What are you smoking? Depth? You want deep? Right here. You want deep? Go there for. You want deep? Do the work of the evangelist. You want deep? I was blind, but now I see. Got to point something out here. Notice he said, you want deep? Do the work of an evangelist. By the way, that's, uh, that's language that comes out of Second Timothy. Let me continue reading. Again, Second Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions. They will wander away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. Hmm. Here, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that the work of an evangelist is to preach the word, all of it, for all scripture is God-breathed. Here, 
Ed Young has twisted these words, ripped them from their context, and makes it sound like the work of an evangelist is to just rescue people and stop complaining about the lack of depth in your church. This is blasphemy. You want deep? Now, please be seated. You know, my wife and I have four kids. When they were small, kids don't have, they don't have a perception of depth. You know, a child would just walk into... Okay, I want to point something out here. He's immediately switched into a personal life story. He's not exegeting a biblical passage. He's exegeting his own logic, his own reason, his own experiences in order to get himself off the hook from his biblical responsibility to preach all of the Word of God. This is breathtaking. He's not engaging in biblical teaching here. He's exegeting his own life experiences and drawing conclusions about that pertaining to his responsibility as a pastor. Listen. Whoa, you got to watch a child. All these little babies and their floaties, goo goo gaga. I want to go deeper. I want. When anybody says it's not deep enough, they're saying I'm a playpen whining, Gerber donning baby. No, he's saying you need to do your job as a pastor. This is blasphemy, and it's absolutely, absolutely mind-bogglingly bad. The. The job of a pastor laid out in Scripture is to preach the Word, to tend and feed Christ's sheep, and to care for them. And here you're turning around and saying, when a sheep says, you know, listen, I, I'm not getting any biblical depth from you, seeker-driven pastor. You're turning around and saying that they're babies? Notice, again, this is not a biblical teaching. I gave you the biblical text to tell us what a pastor's supposed to do. And what he's doing is repudiating, rebuking, and denying his responsibilities as a pastor in order for him to engage in so-called evangelism by meeting people's felt needs. This is what we call a sheep beating. You rotten sheep, how dare you babies come here expecting to be fed the word of God? Who do you think you are, you Bad sheep, just grow up and feed yourself, you awful, horrible, terrible, bad sheep. How, it's so selfish of you expecting me, a shepherd, to feed and tend and care for you. Go feed yourselves. By the way, I need to let everybody know that no sheep were actually harmed in the making of that particular audio. We continue. I got, I got my diapers on, and my diapers are messy. I'm a baby. Just, just, just please remember that. For me, I beg you, it's hilarious when people say, oh, I'm not getting fed. Oh, really? So you can't feed yourself. Notice, Ezekiel, God rebukes the shepherds who feed only themselves and fleece the flock. So basically, here's the attitude of the seeker-driven pastor. You bring the tithe here to this church. You start volunteering and serving here, but don't you dare, under any circumstances, complain about the lack of biblical depth and teaching here. Your job is to get in line, and we're going to fleece you, take your money, take your wool, take your services, and don't expect to be fed here. This is exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. And I just read the passages. And notice he's not reading a passage. He's just coming up with his own little logic here and teaching it as if this is the truth. But this isn't a biblical teaching that he's giving us here. 
What? Now, we love babies. We love babies. Don't get me wrong. We love babies. We love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. And when God wants to birth a bunch of babies, he looks for the best hospital he can find. Are you feeling me? But, 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 you need to understand, as a parent, when your babies grow and begin to feed themselves, it's like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Again, show me one passage, one where a pastor can somehow get off the hook of the job of actually shepherding God's flock and feeding and tending God's sheep so that they can feed themselves. Give me one passage, just one. It's okay. We love babies. But who wants to spend their life in the pee-pee pool, that little shallow baby pool? Again, this is not a biblical teaching. This is just him spinning off his own ideas. Excusing himself so that, you know, he can fleece God's sheep in order to get enough money to pay for the fuel for his private jet. They're floaties in the pee-pee pool saying, oh, it's not deep enough. It's not. Wow. Look, I could not get in the pee-pee pool as a father. I just, I just didn't do it. I sat on the side. Yeah, don't expect me to, you know, clean up after the sheep and tend and keep, feed them and care for them. Ugh. Another excuse. The God in the box excuse. All right, I'm going to stop right there. Yeah, apparently, you know, the God is allergic to boxes, and you, the last thing you want to do is put them in a box. So that's what's going on in our Code Orange Revival recap. At what's going on at the Code Orange Revival? Are we hearing God's word? <laughs> Barely. Are we hearing sound teaching when it comes to what the church is supposed to be doing? Not at all. In fact, uh, over and again, these seeker-driven guys are sure to reiterate their false ecclesiology and their false view of the pastoral office, that they are the vision-casting leader. Don't expect them to go into any depth in properly teaching God's Word. And if you expect them to do that, you are selfish. Their expectation is you need to grow up, feed yourself, take care of yourself, bring me your money, and start serving here at the church, but don't expect me to feed you. No, that's not going to happen. This, my friends, is satanic. And this is exactly what God's Word preaches and teaches against. These super apostles are really good at enslaving and basically putting people into bondage and causing God's sheep to starve to death. This is not the preaching of a pastor. This is the preaching of a wolf or a shepherd who fleeces God's sheep for his own gain, and this is exactly what God's Word preaches against. So, yeah, there's our Code Orange Revival update complete with uh, a complete reiteration of the basic facts uh, of uh, the seeker driven movement we need your sheep uh, no, sorry we need your we need your seat yeah so if that's the case take his advice leave cuz you're not going to be fed there and if you expect to be fed there you're going to be beaten beaten and shamed into how dare you expect our pastor to go in depth that is so selfish <laughs> That's not selfish. That's what God's word, what Christ himself commands his pastors and shepherds to do. And somehow these guys claim they have a direct vision from God that not only lets them off the hook of their pastoral responsibilities, but they have unique visions that uh, make it so that they can do something completely different than what the church has been called to do. Weird, strange, 
not biblical, very dangerous. And as a result of it, I don't think we're really, really uh, experiencing growth in the kingdom of God. We're seeing a build and grow by scratching, itching ears and guilting people into bringing their money so that they can continue with their rock and roll shows and life self-help tips. But um, sound biblical teaching, solid, in-depth doctrinal teaching, yeah, no, that's not what's happening at these churches, especially Elevation and Fellowship. We're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Just a reminder, we're listener-supported radio. Visit our website, click on one of the friendly yellow buttons, and thank you for your support. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>